0: Enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to EvolveNetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model, and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Watersco was first to market with natural gravity fed systems creating alkaline water way back in 1984 and have continued to lead the market in research and development setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow please go to my webpage at petevans.com to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page you're gonna love it Ivor cummins completed a biochemical engineering degree in 1990 He has since spent 30 years in corporate technical leadership positions. His career specialty has been leading large worldwide teams in complex problem solving activity. Since 2012, Ivor has been intensively researching the root causes of modern chronic disease. A particular focus has been on cardiovascular disease, diabetes and obesity. He shares his research insights at public speaking engagements around the world, revealing the key nutritional and lifestyle interventions which will deliver excellent health and personal productivity. He has recently presented at the British Association of Cardiovascular Prevention and Rehabilitation and also at the Irish National Institute of Preventative Cardiology annual conferences. Ivor's 2018 book, Eat Rich, Live Long, details the conclusions of their shared research with Jeffrey Gerber. To find out more about Ivor, please visit his website, thefatemperor.com. That's thefatemperor.com. Ivor, thank you so much for joining us once again. Round two. Ah, Thanks a lot, Pete. No, it's great to be here again. And just when we thought... The dietary guidelines were the biggest issue that we had to tackle. Along comes this flu, (laughs) this this virus, whatever you want to call it. A lady surgeon
1: in the U.S. did a very interesting talk back in, I think, April, and she called it a flu d'etat, the whole thing.
0: (laughs) I like it. And you have been once again outspoken, but also factual. And that is what I love about having a conversation with you because you are one of the most brilliant minds that I've come across when it comes to analysing information and then being able to share that information in a way that most people will be able to understand. And I think the only ones that wouldn't understand are the ones that do not want to understand.
1: I've seen, obviously, and you've seen a lot of that, So all of the science that would call for a more balanced, proportionate response, it's pretty much ignored. And there's no conspiracy in that because it's straight in our face. Everything is ignored. Herd immunity, inevitability, it's questioned as to whether it's possible, which is absurd. You know, the numbers, equally, Europe has 185,000 excess deaths this season, Respiratory season. And in 2018, it had 140,000. So it's 30% higher. That's always ignored. And the five or six published papers that show from the data, not from modeling, but actual data looked at and analyzed, show that lockdown has a very limited effect and the cost benefit of lockdown is atrocious, as in the costs are vastly higher than the benefits. That's all ignored. So I could go on and on. Every shred of science immunology, epidemiology, virology, that paints this picture completely differently and reasonably and scientifically is all ignored. There's only one single mindset. Lockdowns respond, lockdown.
0: So let's go back to the start. When did you look at this or were aware of this and the alarm bells started ringing for you? Well, the very first alarm bells, and I didn't
1: understand them, were in March because people were all expressing a lot of concern. And I said, I'm not really concerned at all. Although, sadly, looking at the Chinese data and looking at the Diamond Princess data, it was quite clear that it was going to be very much elderly, like the flu, though the flu is worse for young and pregnant women as well. This isn't bad for that at all. But anyway, it's going to be elderly and the risk is going to be with the comorbid you know, there's a 10 times risk for diabetes, heart disease, COPD. Now all lives are very important, of course, but the reality is it's going to be like a bad flu. It's going to hurt people for sure. It's going to be like a bad flu. So I tried to explain that to people. And that's what the data was saying uh, way back from China. I was surprised at how much panic was building at the time. But one thing that caught my eye was, which I couldn't understand, was even before Europe got hit, and we didn't yet know the impact, we just had Diamond Princess and others, there was suddenly this talk about a new normal, and we would never be going back to the old normal. And I thought, how can they possibly say that? We don't even have the data yet. So I was surprised that this new normal phrase was coming up, and even worse, we won't ever be going back to the old normal before anything really had happened yet. And it was just weird. So when they did the lockdown at the end of March and we'd seen Italy go up, I had seen data that showed that Italy had crested its viral curve, peaked, and was coming down before they really did lockdowns. So I knew from other science I looked up that lockdowns were not really going to change you know, a viral contagion. They just, they just don't really change it a whole lot. And then they wanted to do a lockdown. So I thought, well, okay, I can understand the concern, the fear, the precautionary principle, so I could understand why it was being done. But I said, in a couple of weeks, it's going to crest in Europe and in Ireland, where I am, and it's going to start coming down. And in three or four weeks, it's clearly going to not overload the hospitals, and it's going to be coming down, which is exactly what happened. And then I said, they're going to just have to take away the lockdowns rapidly. And like any seasonal virus, it'll have a big impact. But then it's, it's going to be, we'll move on. And I really got shocked and concerned when it was clear they didn't want to move on. So two to three weeks to flatten the curve and protect the hospitals, fine. But it changed completely in April. They had a four-month plan of slow removing lockdown. And I'm thinking, but we can see that the ICU and the mortality has come down the curve and it's heading down fast. Why is there a four-month plan? There's going to be nothing happening in the summer. So that shocked me. And just to keep it brief, my really worst shock day was coming into July in Ireland, across Europe, in the middle of the summer, when I was stunned for months that they did not remove all measures. They brought in mandatory masks. That was a dark day because I said, now they are an offense to any and all science on this. Because when a seasonal virus passes, largely of its own accord because we are already getting studies on lockdown showing it came after the curve had turned in most countries. We, we knew from the math that it did very little. And they brought in mandatory masks, which is a massive change for society. And if you bring in mandatory masks in the summer when the virus activity is really low and nothing's happening in the hospitals or mortality, when would you ever take them out? There is no exit strategy. So I was blown away in midsummer, and then I was, began to spend more and more time and trying to get the word out on how science is being undermined, society is being undermined. The collateral damage from lockdowns and these measures is going to vastly outweigh the supposed savings. And it's just been twilight zone now for many months for me. Why is this happening? Well, I mean, I released a video yesterday on the tiger horn uh, deceit. It's an old story, and basically the village chief tigers come in a wave and attack a lot of the villagers, has to do something. So they get a tiger horn and blow it every night. And as it happens, the tigers t- drift away, and the chief gets the credit. And then some, one of the braves says, you know, but the tigers were heading away anyway, and they were probably gone anyway. And you deal with that person, you say, no, it was the horn. Right? Because now you got the credit for it. And then more people ask, but hold on, there's a village 100 miles away and it's completely ravaged, right? And they have a horn. And there's other villages we know of where there's no horn and they're all fine. All the tigers are gone from there as well. And then you deal with those people and you shut them up. And then you have to double down on the blowing of the horn. Because if you're going forward, you want to make sure if the tigers stay away naturally. You want to make sure you can credit the horn. So you double down and make sure you can say, well, we we did extensive horn use, and that's why the tigers didn't come back. So you see the idea, just to put it in a simple analogy, they've tied themselves into a knot now. Heading into the winter, I think a lot of the authorities realize in Europe that it's going to be a normal enough winter, even with no measures. But that will call into question everything that was done that's horrific politically. So they have to double down. We're seeing lockdowns now in Ireland and England, even though there's very little ICU or mortality, it's looking like a normal enough winter. So they're doubling down on lockdowns. And I would say instinctively so that they can say the winter coming was okay because we did all the measures. So there's a lot of politics wrapped up in this now. They're trapped in a logic trap. And they also, earlier on, put huge fear into the population. This is documented in the SAGE Council in the UK. They documented their plans in March to use social media, media, and shaming to instill fear in the population so that they'd follow measures. So they did that psyops. And now, because they've doubled down on lockdowns and we've had months of constant radio adverts and television and all the media, the public is psychosed. It's indoctrinated in fear. And the public is now kind of demanding lockdowns and school closures from the government because they actually believe, you know, that we need this. So now the the cart is driving the horse. I could go on, but there's this massive political mess now that they've painted themselves into a corner and they're destroying the economy, jobs delaying cancer treatments, suicides and depression will go up. We're ruining our societies across Europe, largely for nothing. It's a shocking situation.
0: You're a critical thinker and you analyze data. Has this ever happened before that you know of, apart from the uh, blowing of the tiger horn?
1: Well, it actually has happened almost a mirror image of this, but it never took hold. And that was the swine flu in 2009, the H1N1. So basically, the governments across Europe and in America, there was a hysteria about the swine flu. At the time, interestingly, I looked into it because I was hearing all of this kind of hype and fear. And I looked into it and I found out that mostly it was Mexican drug addicts had actually died. And outside of that, there were very few deaths. And I wondered why all the hysteria But what happened was the pharmaceutical companies had met, I think, 30 senior reps. They had met in Europe with the WHO, and they had negotiated with government people to lower the bar for pandemic. What defined a pandemic? Because when you declare a pandemic, it releases billions of euros from governments to vaccine companies for them to go ahead and develop a vaccine. So they kind of blackmailed and said, look, we're not going to do jack unless we get indemnity, of course, and you trigger a pandemic and then we get all our contracts. So what happened was they lowered the bar, the WHO for pandemic right down. And it used to have to also include that there was major impact, but they kind of removed that clause and they left it very light. Really, you just have to have multiple countries and widespread contagion they dropped the impact clause. That was crucial. And they declared a pandemic and then billions flowed into pharma. Now, what actually happened was they couldn't sustain it because the impacts were so low. And the reality was all of those billions were flushed down the toilet, basically. They did deploy the vaccine. And there's many, many cases now where people got narcolepsy because it was a rushed vaccine. It just became a total mess, and Spiegel newspaper in Germany, if anyone Googles Spiegel swine flu, they'll get the article. And it was kind of titled, Manufacture of Hysteria. And it was a 10-page article describing what I just told you, and just saying basically it was a disgrace. So that was the closest thing. The only difference was the swine flu in 2009, it truly didn't have any real impact Whereas this coronavirus, in fairness, has had a very significant impact, like a very bad flu. So I think this time the impact was big enough for the world to go full cycle, is the only word I could describe. But many driving forces and conflicts of interest are there, not to get into conspiracy, but we saw this with swine flu. And now we've got the WHO again, and they've been openly pushing hysteria. I mean, that's on the record. Anyone with open eyes can see that. The World Economic Forum, a very powerful worldwide body with full of corporates and senior leaders, they have made their position clear for months now that they want the great reset, that this is a huge opportunity, Corona, is we cannot waste this opportunity to reset the world according to our strategies. And they've been open about it. I mean, it's on their website, World Economic Forum, Great Reset, Fourth Industrial Revolution. So there's no conspiracy here, actually, because it's not a conspiracy. (laughs) when They're telling you they're doing it. So the UN Commission as well, I think, on vaccines and, you know, you've got European bodies. You've got many worldwide bodies who, unfortunately... It's in all of their interests for corona to be a huge deal, keep being a huge deal, to enable many on-the-record goals, like tracking, tracing, you know, health passports. So, again, it's not a conspiracy. It's just that it's a bonanza for many huge worldwide influential organizations, international ones. It's just a bonanza right now for them to move ahead with their plans. And I'm not even saying their plans are bad. Their plans could be good. You might agree with their plans. But they're essentially undemocratic organizations. The plans and strategies are not being voted on, right? And yet they have the baton. They have world control of a lot of this narrative. So if you mix all that together, including what I, I mentioned about the self-reinforcing cycle of the political realities of this that are now trapped in the logic and include that with tops-down continued pressure and put it together, hey, presto, you get what we're seeing, where you just a data guy just cannot fathom
0: why they're doing this. So what does it boil down to then? Because you talk about that it, you might agree with what they're doing, the track and tracing, the COVID passports, whatever it is. I, for me, it's like, how do they benefit? They the people that you've talked about, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the United Nations, and Big Pharma, for instance, and the governments. How do they benefit from this? Is it monetarily? I'd say, well, economically,
1: financially, yeah, there's plenty of that in there, depending on which party. So the WHO would be more, all of its funding is linked to those kinds of companies. So obviously, you know, they'll tend to be biased towards what everyone in the whole group wants, But also their meaning. The WHO obviously gets huge importance as an organization and huge power during a big epidemic. And when the epidemic, if it passed seasonally in Europe and in the US, and everyone perceived it as a pretty bad flu, and now it had faded, WHO goes back to being whatever, no one cares. So institutionally, there's a huge, huge incentive to keep this thing going. They're in the limelight, they're going to attract funding. The WEF, it's mainly corporates, you know, international group of corporates and senior leaders and money people. And they have views on how the world should be managed and run. You know, it should be a more managed world with tracking and tracing and maybe electronic money and remove cash, maybe an environmental side to it too. So there are people who want to manage the world as a project, right? (laughs) Who knows? Maybe they could be good managers like I was. Or maybe we wouldn't necessarily want them. But, you know, that's their outlook. That's their strategy. And they've been public and written many books on it. So it's all open. And the other UN and other organizations, like any huge bureaucracies, they want the power to control themselves. They don't want sovereign states not going along with plans for health passports. You know, they want everything according to what the bureaucrats in the back room have decided they would like. And a lot of it is control, you know, controlling, tracking, tracing, managing the world in a more structured way. So they all have their desires and drivers. Politicians, our politicians in Ireland, in the initial epidemic rise, our leader, Prime Minister Taoiseach, went from 38% approval to 72 in a matter of weeks by locking down and being on the television every night. You know, That's intoxicating for politicians. They're heroes if they lock everything down and apparently save lives. Now, I stress apparently because, of course, they're going to cost lives in the long run, big time. But that's invisible blood. And they can blame it on the virus. And it wasn't their fault. They saved lives. So you know all the politicians have all that incentive. And as I described, they're now trapped in the logic that I think many of them are realizing now If we back off on the restrictions and the normal virus rise in Europe goes up and mortality and ICU respiratory, but it's like other years and we don't have lockdown in and this winter kind of ends up looking like other years, it's going to be an absolute mess because obviously everyone will think, hold on a minute, so it was a seasonal virus and we've come into the next winter and there isn't a second wave and it looks like all of the uh, outlier people shouting since March were correct. Community immunity did come along, you know, it was seasonal. The WHO said in the summer it is not seasonal, but it obviously was. And everything is going the way that they said, the outlier people, people like me or people like Professor Levitt or Professor Gupta of Oxford or, you know, Professor Carl Hennigan of Oxford Evidence Based Medicine. I could go on and on and on. Professors all over the world since April have been calling this. And it's absolutely unthinkable to the ruling classes that it will turn out that all of those people we censored, suppressed, and ridiculed, they're actually right. That's unthinkable, right, Pete? I mean, that's unthinkable to them. So that's a long-winded answer, but there's no conspiracy in this. And that's the important thing for listeners. There's no conspiracy theory. I've been a corporate manager for decades. I've been involved in corporate politics. I also know all the data and all the science. I can put it all together. You could actually analyze the root cause, which was your question of why this is happening beyond the scientific stuff. And I've tried to encapsulate some of it. You can do a root cause diagram for that side of it, the political and influential and all those sides of it. And you'll get your root cause diagram. It'll be roughly, as I said, they'll be all drivers and they're all open and transparent and they're not even secret.
0: Can you see any of these politicians or any of these institutions changing course in a positive way? But that's what we've been hoping and
1: praying for and working for for months is for scientific sanity, rationality, proportionality to come back. There are moves in, and I know I'm speaking of Europe because I'm more familiar with it. We can talk about Australia in a minute. But in Europe, there's a lot more groundswell in the media now. The media have essentially been pure propaganda for six months. And there's no other word for it, because propaganda is when you keep enforcing a story we already know. And journalism is when you challenge a story and look at different aspects, an alternative view for discussion. So journalism died in March 2020 in Europe, effectively. But in the last several weeks, as lockdowns are being brought in again, when clearly we are not seeing extraordinary ICU or mortality or impacts, Lockdowns being brought in based on cases. And the PCR test is highly flawed and should not be used for any social policy. People are beginning to wake up and the word is getting round. And the newspapers and media are now featuring some of the professors who have been saying the right things since April. So the media is certainly shifting. And that's huge because the media has been a massive part of keeping this illusion alive for six months. And it's very heartening to see the media now beginning to actually do some journalism. Now, it's too little, too late, maybe, but it's happening and it's growing. And politicians in the UK and Ireland and doctors are coming out now against harassment and threats. They're coming out and speaking up. So I'm just hoping that, you know, ultimately that people will rise up and we'll just see some sanity prevail. It's happening. Let's hope it keeps happening.
0: It's interesting you use the word sanity then, because I just saw the headline about half an hour ago before we started this in Australia today. And people are calling the Premier of Victoria insane of the measures. I think he came out today and said, We will continue this until April, at least until April. And somebody said, Are you a time traveler? Are you a psychic? How on earth are you basing evidence or getting your information to even predict? that April is <laughs> when things will... And I have to laugh because it is insane.
1: Yeah, insane. I think you shouldn't overuse the word. I think it's fair here because it certainly is not sane proportionate response. And that thing about April, I remember my daughter, she's in med school. The university told them back in April 2020 that we're not going to really have any indoor or onsite stuff. Next winter. Now, remember, this is in April when the viral curve is turning down and it's clearly a seasonal virus by its nature. And the universities are able to say, next year, we're not going to have classes. Bizarre, right? Surreal. Also, I know people in big business and corporations, and they were informed around that time in April, May, when it was passing, they were informed that for next year until the summer of 2021, they'd be working from home. How do all these people know all this stuff? What in the name of God are they basing it on? There is no rationality there. So I I think there was some kind of baked in influences back in March that got hold, that decided we're in for the long haul on this one, regardless of what happens. So this guy you're talking about, (laughs) Governor or PM, yeah, I've seen him on the television and quite frankly, it's scary to actually watch him. It's just one of those moments where you look. And again, I managed people for 20 years. I've interviewed a lot of people. And you can judge people even on the screen talking. And it's scary. So now he's saying April. Why April? I don't know. And I'm guessing it's like one of the Australian specialists went on the television I saw a clip four months ago and said there will be no let up of these measures until the vaccine. So people might as well get that straight. So I guess that's where he is.
0: Yeah. Even today, the New South Wales health minister came out and a slip of the tongue, but I should have just shared it on social media. He said that this is the new world order. And then he reversed and said, oh no, this is the new normal. (laughs) (laughs) If you had a dictionary, they'd be synonyms also called new normal, also (laughs) called
1: new world order. (laughs) It's It's the same thing. New world order sounds conspiratorial, but I described earlier, just accurately and factually, what people, when they say New World Order, what the reality is. And you can call it a New World Order. You can call it vast international organizations all working in lockstep towards common goals that align with corporate and industry. You can call it many things. But that's what it is. It's not a big deal. But yeah, he let it slip. They are all now indoctrinated and they all are in lockstep. And they are all trapped also, whatever about influences coming down from above to them, of which there are many, they now have trapped themselves. I mean, there's no getting out of this for them. You cannot now say, guys, we overreacted. Look, Australia, by any reasonable estimation, if we had done nothing, would have been a couple of hundred per million people. And the average age would have been probably beyond the life expectancy age. And guys, you know, we're going to back off now and try and get our country back and our economy running because it's cost probably around $100 million per aged life saved. You know, imagine they came out with the facts. They'd be eviscerated. I mean, what was it for? So they have no choice now but to wait for some kind of magic horn that will allow them off the hook. So in this case, it's a vaccine. It could be a new treatment. They need some magic sauce so that they can say, now we're letting you take off the silly mask. Now we're letting you live again, right? We're going to bestow upon you your life that you once had. We're going to give it back to you. Yes, we took it off you, but we're giving it back to you now because of this. And you can do a jingly sound, magic sauce. And that's what it is. I mean, this is politics. Once the vaccine's there, even if it's 10% effective, which will make no difference to anything, no material difference, it actually doesn't matter. Once you just roll it out, and it's perceived as the fix, then you can go back to normal. And most people won't even see the scam. There's no anti-vax here. The flu vaccines are relatively very ineffective compared to traditional significant vaccines that gave eradications of diseases. That was a different era. The flu vaccines have 30 years of development. They should be as good as they could get for influenza-like illnesses. And often, they're 30% effective. And some papers out of JAMA, the American Journal, have questioned even that, that if you analyze the data in an unbiased way, there are publications peer-reviewed that say, look, they're even less effective on average for really saving lives in the elderly. So if you take all of that, and now you do a coronavirus vaccine that's never been successfully done in history in spite of attempts, and you rush it out in six months instead of the six-year normal cycle... You can't expect any major efficacy at all. I mean, you just can't expect that. But that's the magic sauce they're depending on. The cost-benefit of the vaccine, looking at the current mortality reality of coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, it looks like you'd have to treat around two or 3,000 people probably to get one aged life generally extended somewhat. So the quality system or quality adjusted life years that's used in the UK, there's a guideline that for each quality life year extended you achieve by a medication, you can spend up to 20,000 sterling. And this has been running for decades. People might realize they have to do the math because you can't just spend money infinitely for everything to do with health. So it's 20,000 per quality adjusted life year saved. Now, if you apply that to this It looks like it will be hundreds of thousands sterling per quality adjusted life year saved for a say a fifty percent effective vaccine. It could be up to a million sterling. And no one's looking at that math and saying, guys, I know this is about human life and we shouldn't be talking money, but hold on, you destroy an economy, you destroy lives. And for this quality system in the UK I mentioned, they do look at money versus human life. They have to. And a vaccine the cost-benefit just seems to make no financial sense. I don't even get into harms and that stuff with vaccines. I don't even touch it. I just look at the numbers. The vaccine numbers, cost-benefit, we can wait and see, but I, I can't see it. I just don't understand it. It would never be considered if it were a normal issue and a normal medication. It would never be considered.
0: I don't know. I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions, Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.